Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. So good afternoon. My name is Anthony Ryan. I am the sales and marketing director at Ignatius Press. And I'm very happy today to have with me David Penault, uh, who will we will discuss a new book that we published this season on Charles de Foucauld. I'm holding up the cover here. Charles de Foucauld, uh, it's a biography by Jean Jacques Antier. It's actually a second edition we've done of this book. And David Penault wrote the introduction to the book. So I'm very happy to have David here. We're calling the, the title of this podcast, Getting to Know Charles de Foucauld, The Hidden Life of a Soon-to-Be Saint. And so David Penault is uh, the Emeritus Professor of Religious Studies at Santa Clara University. He's also the author of two books published by Ignatius Press. I'm going to ask David to hold them up. The first one we did is called The Crucifix on Mecca's Front Porch, A Christian Companion for the Study of Islam. And there you see the cover that David is holding. It's a great book and a great cover. And yes. so that's his first book we did with David, he's an expert on Islam. I would highly encourage everyone to check that book out. Thank and then you. the second book we did with David, uh, somewhat of an unusual book. It's a novel. It's called Providence Blue, A Fantasy Quest. And there you see that book as well. And that's, uh, that's also another uh, fun and exciting uh, kind of a journey book, um, Providence Blue. So I'd encourage people to pick that up as well. So, David, thank you for showing those. And, David, thank you for joining us. And, first oh, of all, thanks for, thanks for writing the introduction to this book. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, it really was an honor to do so, Tony. Thank you. So let's let's start off. Um, you know, Charles de Foucault is uh, not a well-known figure in the United States. Um, I'm not sure if he's well-known in France. Maybe you can tell me that. But why don't we – maybe you could just give a quick overview of who he was I mean, just before we get into the book. Yes. And, in fact um, – Although Father Foucault is someone who's not that well known in the United States currently, uh, in fact, he is much better known in France, and um, partly because of the fact that his life is so much bound up with um, the, the whole experience of colonialism and France's uh, relationship with North Africa and especially Algeria in the 19th and 20th century. In fact, uh, that um, close political affiliation lasted until the early 1960s. And uh, in, in fact, that colonial dimension was um, part of what slowed up the process of um, the canonization, which is something we can talk about more if you like. Um, but let's just, I'll just give a very quick uh, historical overview. Yeah. Um, Father Foucault was born in 1858 in uh, the French city of Strasbourg to a very devout um, Catholic family. Um, and, uh, in fact, uh, many of the challenges, the spiritual and intellectual challenges that Father Foucault faced, uh, are, would be recognizable to us today. Um, because at the time he was growing up, um, French society and culture were being roiled by currents such as, um, uh, Darwinism, especially a kind of Darwinist materialism that completely downgraded um, the importance of God and uh, divine human relations. Uh, France was also being troubled by rising secularism 
and questioning the authority of the church and traditional structures. And France was also, like much of Europe and subsequently America, France was also being challenged by what you could call uh, so-called scientific atheism. Sounds um, very similar to our age. Yeah, exactly. Very, very much so. And um, in the introduction that I was asked by Ignatius to write for this book, one of the points I tried to make is that I think Father Foucault um, has something to say to us today. I'll go back to that. Um, what happened was that, um, again, just to do this briefly, Father Foucault, um, as a young man, um, I would say he lost his uh, spiritual focus. He lost direction in life, um, lost his faith for a period. Um, he entered uh, the Academy of saint Cyr, which is sort of the equivalent of um, West Point here in America. Um, and uh, however, in, uh, in his studies, both in the classroom and on the parade ground, um, he was distracted a lot. Um, he was someone who was already a secularist, if you like. Uh, he graduated near the bottom of his class. And by his own account, later in life, what really began his, what he called his reversion to the Catholicism of his youth <laughs> was um, jihad, a declaration of holy war preached by um, uh, French Muslim militants in French North Africa. And so Foucault's military regiment was called for combat duty in Algeria. And Foucault later recalled that it was, first of all, the experience of having to care for his troops and to lead them in battle that um, helped to steady Foucault emotionally and pull him out of himself a bit. And the, the second really important experience there is um, his contact with Muslims. Hmm. He said later that uh, the experience of being around people a very traditional society in Algeria at that time, being around people who were clearly aware, very aware of God's presence, even if that understanding of God, of course, was not identical to the Christian, nonetheless served for him to draw his attention to at least the possibility of refinding, retrieving his relationship with God. Hmm. And ultimately, he returns to France and uh, renews his commitment to Catholicism and ultimately is ordained as a priest. Hmm. He then returns to Algeria. And um, at that time, uh, Algeria was a colonial possession of France. And um, he could have chosen, it's interesting, he could have chosen a, a relatively comfortable perch. He could have had a parish in Algiers, um, the French Algerian capital right on the Mediterranean it would have been um, really quite comfortable. But instead, what he chose to do was to be a chaplain, an itinerant chaplain, serving the French Foreign Legion outposts in the French Sahara. Wow. Yeah. And he would travel on foot uh, to offer mass and offer spiritual guidance and also be there to help tend the wounded, you know, in combat. You know, so he was very much there. Um, and at the same time, I should note that um, he was someone who considered himself uh, to try to be available to everyone, Christian, Muslim, everyone. Um, and what's particularly noteworthy is, on the one hand, he was very much a supporter 
of what France referred to as its civilizing mission in its colonies. He really believed in the idea of France's mission in that sense. But he was also willing to criticize his own country. You know, he, you know, he was very much a patriot. That, right. No mistake about that. No. Uh, he was an ardent supporter of France and its civilizing mission. Uh-huh. But uh, he was also willing to criticize it. And I think that one of the main points to draw attention to here is that France had outlawed the slave trade. Um, you may be aware that uh, Sharia, Islamic law, um, permits slavery. Uh-huh. Actually, technically, Sharia still permits slavery to this day. Uh, and um, so anyway, that's a whole discussion in itself. But in any case, there were both Tuareg and Arab Muslim slave traders active in North Africa. France outlawed the slave trade, but because of political complications and resistance from local Muslim tribes, France did not always enforce its own legislation. And what Father Foucault volunteered to do was to spend much of his time living in southern Algeria, where there was a um, a large, substantial black population. That black population, the villagers were often the subject of these slave raids by the Arabs and Tuaregs. And what Father Foucault did was um, he would sometimes himself pay to ransom slaves, provide them employment as freedmen, do the best he could to protect them, and then also keep reminding his own government, hey, we should be enforcing this law that forbids enslavement. So just to give you an example of the fact that, yes, he was definitely a a French patriot, but at the same time, he was, uh, his love of country also manifested itself uh, in this uh, sometimes critical attitude. And um, one other thing to mention here is the fact that by temperament, once he had had this reversion to his home faith of Catholicism as a Christian, <clears throat> what he loved most was solitary devotion, especially to the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Hmm. So that at night, what he what he really, by temperament, preferred to do was to spend his time in solitary prayer before the monstrance of showing the Eucharist in his chapel in this mud brick uh, hermitage of his in the village of Taman Rasa in southern Algeria. And um, when he could, he would, you know, when it was time to sleep and he'd be exhausted after being out all day ministering to people, um, he would sleep curled up um, at the the altar in front of the monstrance. He he himself says in his journals, like a dog. Okay. Yeah, a dog for Christ. But even though by temperament he preferred that solitude to be alone with the divine presence, he always made himself available for others that even in the middle of the night when he would be asked for help, either by the military authorities or by local um, Muslims, whoever it was, he would be there for them. Ah. And um, the final biographical note, just to round off the portrait, is that um, he died at the age of 58 in 1916, um, uh, killed by uh, jihadists uh, during a raid um, on his hermitage. Hmm. Um, that was a good overview. Thank you for that. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of things we could talk about and what you just told us, but let's just, let's just go to his devotion to the Eucharist. I think for us in America, it's very timely because 
as you know, the bishops in the U.S. are preparing for this three-year kind of renewal, revival of Eucharistic devotion, understanding and devotion in America. And I think Charles de Foucault would be a good uh, example for us uh, from what you just told us about his own personal devotion to the Eucharist yeah. uh, in person, uh, you know, right there with the Eucharist. Uh, yes. That that seems to be a crucial part of his spirituality. So that is beautiful. Um, uh, we could talk a little bit more about that, but I think why don't we go back first of all to the author? Can you tell the people a little bit about the author? Because the author uh, is not with us, and uh, that's why we have the good fortune of having you talk about the book. But tell people a little bit about the author of this book, if you would. Yeah, sure. So um, Jean-Jacques Antier is um, a French Catholic author who has written. Um, a wide variety of, of books on various um, Catholic um, biographical and uh, devotional topics. And he is someone uh, who particularly impresses me for the meticulous way in which he undertook the research for this book. If you look up um, the literature on Father Foucault, you will see that there are many, many works that have been written. Um, I've enjoyed all the ones that I've looked at, but what particularly impresses me about the author that Ignatius chose um, for a translation, because of, of course the book, book was originally written in French, uh, is that what um, Jean-Jacques Antier did was to go thoroughly through all of the surviving um, correspondence um, written by and to uh, Father Foucault. Um, and he went through his, his private journals uh, and what he constructs from this, and this is something that I really particularly treasured in the biography of Foucault published by Ignatius. What Antier did in this biography is to quote extensively from the journals and from his correspondence. So it gives you a very intimate feel for what I would call Father Foucault's spiritual interiority. And that brings us back, uh, Tony, to something that I think is so important that you just mentioned, the notion of the real presence. You know, when, when we read a book, we often ask, okay, so what's the takeaway for me <laughs> as the reader, especially the takeaway for us as Catholic readers? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I think many people who are um, uh, listening to this broadcast are aware of the fact that um, I think there's been kind of a, a falling away in Catholic devotion to the real presence. And so that I think often many of us who take communion, you know, we've kind of lost track of the notion of the real presence, that, that Christ is really there for us, physically mm -hmm. present, mm -hmm. the body and blood of Christ, that's not simply a metaphor. Right. Now, I think, now there are many, many reasons, I think, for this lack of understanding that's going on concerning the real presence. Um, but I think part of it is, and you, and you see this in the in the life of um, Charles Foucault. With Father Foucault, in growing up, you see very clearly, and it comes across in the biography, before he came back to his Catholic faith, Father Foucault, the young Foucault, was um, subjected to um, enormous numbers of distractions. I mean, by his own account, as a young man, he was very much into a kind of hedonistic lifestyle. There's kind of a, a bonbon connoisseur, you know, uh, a sensualist, champagne guzzler. This is all by his own description. In other words, he was 
in this age of secularism in which he grew up, he was really pulled about by what I would call an infinite number of distractions. And that describes our own age, you know, exactly. with our, you know, devices and smartphones and, you know, you know, limitless numbers of YouTube channels. Okay. We're living in an age of infinite distractibility. Right. We, get, we get pulled about and it's very hard for us to develop the kind of interior quiet hmm. in which we can carve out a space for relationship. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I really value in this biography of Foucault. Yeah, it, gives that, it gives that sense of Foucault making the time yeah. to create a space for a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ in the world. That's beautiful because uh, as you described him, he was a man who was kind of restless. Uh, he was always getting distracted by things like a lot of us are in our culture today. Yes. And he really had to kind of pull himself out of that. He had to absolutely separate himself from that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like we're all have to do or going to have to do if we want to develop this relationship with Christ that Foucault developed. And I think he's a perfect role model for that today because he experienced all the same stuff that we're going through today. And yet he was able to accomplish that. And he actually went out and lived in the desert. He lived that very ascetical life that you described. Yes. Uh, yes. So what, I mean, let's talk about that. Because first of all, was he a diocesan priest or what was he? Well, here's the, here's the interesting thing. Um, what you could, you could describe him once he um, uh, came to North Africa, his position was that of being a chaplain, a military chaplain. Okay. okay? okay. But he was not limited. This is the interesting thing. He starts off um, at the fortress of Beni Abbes, uh, which is in uh, French Algeria, right near the border with Morocco. And that was one of the major headquarters. In fact, if you look up Beni Abbes um, oh, online, you'll see uh, photographs, and it looks like um, something out of a Beau Geste movie. Okay, you know, <laughs> you know old-fashioned French Foreign Legion outpost. Okay. Um, but the interesting thing is, um, constantly what he would do would be not to limit himself to one place. What he basically did was to put that restlessness to good use. He would travel on foot, sometimes accompanying military patrols and sometimes going off on his own to minister to anyone who needed him. And he would be offering mass wherever he would go. So he would travel from outpost to outpost. He would also accompany uh, what were called pacification tours. In other words, whenever uh, one of the militant tribes <clears throat> were wreaking violence on their neighbors or whatever, and the foreign legion would go out on one of those expeditions, he would accompany them mm. you know, at great personal risk, obviously. And he would minister to the wounded to provide sacraments to them and just to, you know, look after the wounded. Okay. Huh. Um, you know, and again, he, uh, what struck everyone around him is the fact that he had no regard whatsoever for his personal safety or personal comfort. Nice. And it's and um, quite a contrast from nice. the sensualism of his early years. Well, let me. So he was a military chaplain, but when you look at the uh, when you look at him, that doesn't look like a military chaplain there. So uh, tell us about what happened that he ended up looking like this. I mean, did yeah. he found an order, or what? What was what happened later in his life? Yeah. So this is the interesting thing. Um, what we're doing right now uh, in a brief conversation is kind of telescoping um, the very variegated life that he led. 
Right. In fact, when he first returned to France after his initial tour of duty, if you like, in French North Africa, um, he wound up um, sort of um, conducting a number of spiritual experiments within the Christian faith. For example, for a while, he lived as a Cistercian Trappist. Oh, okay. um, and he um, traveled to the Holy Land and um, spent time uh, working as a kind of um, laborer or, or voluntary uh, factotum, helping out at various convents and monasteries. Um, he was very much interested in what he called the hidden life. He, want, he wanted to replicate, to the extent that he could, what he called the hidden life of Jesus of Nazareth. Huh. That is those years that the gospel don't tell us about much when uh, Jesus, as a young man, lives in obscurity. You know, he, uh -huh. he wanted to avoid anything like a claim to fame or anything like that. Um, ultimately, what uh, happens is that as he returns to North Africa, he, he's interested in uh, essentially founding a new order, which didn't really bear fruit until um, after his death. Um, <clears throat> but what he wanted was to have a very vigorous, monastic life um, in the desert, literally, but one in which these little brothers of Jesus would be available in service to others. In other words, like he was, like he was just as he was, because he was aware of the fact that in a way for someone of his temperament, the asceticism part of the formula was the relatively easier part. Uh, what was harder was being available to others. I see. So he tried to, he wanted, he always encouraged the notion of um, uh, um, developing this intimate relationship with God in the real presence. That's always central right. because he understood that out of that intimacy with God comes the inner strength to be available for others. I see. So he combined the contemplative and the active life kind of. Yes, yes, very much so. And um he is someone who, I mean, if and if we had more time, I'd also mention the fact that um, he had a close relationship with and was a great inspiration to a French Catholic scholar of Islam named Louis Massignon. Uh -huh. And, um, uh, and Massignon, um, who, like Foucault, was someone who had studied Islam but had fallen away from his Catholic faith, um, Massignon and many other uh, people in France actually found himself being called back to his Catholic faith through his relationship with Father Foucault. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's, beautiful. That's uh, but so, so you say he wanted to found a monastic order. It didn't really happen until after his life. So what is there something, what is his legacy today? Yeah, so his, his legacy today is, um, well, first of all, um, <clears throat> It extends in various ways. First of all, um, with the, the Little Brothers of Jesus, um, <clears throat> this order, um, which remains relatively small, but one that um, uh, continues to this day. And, um, and I would also say that it's important to keep in mind, um, you may be aware of this, that in uh, May of 2001, um, Pope St. John Paul II visited Damascus as a historic uh, visit to the Grand Mosque, Islamic place of worship, uh -huh. Damascus. 
Um, I've actually have uh, at various points visited that mosque myself. It has quite an interesting history to it. Um, oh. The fact that uh, it had originally been uh, a Christian chapel in honor of John the Baptist. Okay, so quite oh. a long history. But in any case, when um, Pope uh, John Paul II, when he visited that mosque, uh, you know, in a gesture of you know interfaith dialogue with uh, Muslim population worldwide. And he talked about the notion when St. John Paul II talked about the concept of Muslim Christian dialogue, he explicitly cited the names of Father Foucault huh. and Louis Massignon. Huh. Um, in other words, both uh, French Catholics. Um, both of them people who um, had studied Islam and uh -huh. had, um, you know, relationships with Muslims to try to build um, points of conversation between them. And uh -huh. what the Pope stated uh, in that historic visit in 2001 was that he, he said, I am placing Muslim uh, Christian dialogue under the aegis of or in, in the name of um, Father Foucault, bless uh, Father Foucault and uh, Louis Massignon. Oh, that's beautiful. That Quite is beautiful. A so David, um, uh, so he's going to be canonized the saint on May 15th by Pope Francis. Uh, that's a big, that's a big thing in the church. Whenever there's a canonization, um, apparently there was some controversy surrounding his canonization. Could you tell us briefly about that? Yes. I see this has to do with the um, French colonial legacy. And um, what I noted when I was doing my own research to write the introduction to this new edition published by Ignatius, what I came across is the fact that there have um, been various um, uh, scholars, um, self-described activists, who objected to the canonization um, on the grounds that um, Father Foucault was someone who um, served the French military, um, who was a French patriot who believed in France's civilizing mission. And so if you look through some of these publications objecting to Father Foucault's legacy, they say things to the effect of um, <clears throat> what we should be doing is dismantling colonialist figures. In other words, I see this as part of what I would call a cancel culture. Right. And, um, yeah. And and the idea is to at least, you know, this is how I view it. In the view of such people, what happens is we hold various historical figures from the past to the standards of concepts and especially vocabulary of today. Right. And if they're off by a millimeter, yeah. heaven help you in that case. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's what the so-called controversy was. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it also has to do with the fact that, you know, there was um, a, um, you know, one has to keep in mind that um, after World War II, especially in the 1950s, you, you have a colonial war going on in Algeria, you know, that ultimately led to Algeria becoming independent and leaving the French Empire. And um, so there was a lot, I mean, Okay. When, that was one reason why um, the canonization process took so long. Ah, okay. and, and it's interesting um, to keep in mind the fact, and this is um, uh, another kind of um, footnote here, that 
and with regard to the whole canonization process, that um, I think it was, yeah, it was in 1967 that um, Pope Paul VI, okay, um, he paid homage to Father Foucault by noting the, the very interesting fact that um, while Father Foucault was, you know, doing his missionary work, being a witness to the faith in North Africa, it was Father Foucault who was documenting the culture of the Tuaregs. Now, the Tuaregs are indigenous people of um, Algeria. This is the population that was there before the Arabs came, before the time of the Arab conquest, you know, in the time of the seventh century. Wow. And um, one of the things that Father Foucault did, because he was a scholar as well as a missionary and a hermit, Father Foucault constructed a giant multi-thousand page uh, dictionary, French Tuareg. He, wow. collected, he collected um uh, Tuareg uh, folklore and folk sayings and so forth, and the part of building a bridge to the local culture. And wow. what what Pope Paul VI noted was that <laughs> once Algeria acquired independence, the nationalist government, which you know described itself as Arab, which is the majority population, of yeah. course today, right? The Pope noted that actually the Tuareg were going through discrimination because they're an ethnic minority. And so the Pope pointed out that actually what Father Foucault did was not only standing up for the minority blacks, but also, you know, trying to document the Tuareg culture that, you know, <laughs> after independence was not being given the attention it should because the Tuaregs were suffering discrimination at the hand of the nationalist Arab government. That's it's amazing. Kind of, yeah, complicated story. Very interesting uh, facet, uh, very a man of many interesting facets, Charles Dave Foucault. We've basically just been able to touch on them today. But uh, David, thank you for uh, a chance to talk to you about this book. Thank you for all the work you did on your uh, introduction to the book. You're very uh, good. And I want to encourage people to check out David's books, both his novel, Providence Blue. Can you hold that up again? I want people sure. to see that, that really great cover and great book. There it is. And then also David's book, Crucifix on Mecca's Front Porch, if you could hold that up. And that obviously ties in with somewhat what we're talking about with Charles de Foucault, the whole idea of uh, Christianity and, and Islam and the whole view, as David shows, of a Christian's companion to the study of Islam and how there's definitely connections with what we talked about with Charles de Foucault. So uh, let me just hold up the book that we're showing or discussing today, the cover. And this is really the definitive biography of Charles de Foucault. We're honored to have it. If you're looking for one book on Charles de Foucault, I would say this is it. And David gave you a little taste of it today. Uh, it's very thorough. Uh, the, as David said, the author did great research. He was, had access to the uh, files for uh, his canonization. He actually interviewed witnesses, people that knew Foucault. He did all his, checked all his writings out. Very thorough book. So thank you, David, for talking to us about this great book today and for your introduction to the book. It's a pleasure. Always great to talk with you and to be able to work with Ignatius Press. We look forward to continuing that. Thank you. God bless you. Hey, God bless. Take care now. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast 
on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening. <laughs>